Yeah, um, I don't know if it was the very first one that I was here for, but I think it was the one two years ago that was a bit hectic. Was that the one where she they got an external developer to do it and then he got sick and oh my gosh, yeah, that was very intense. This is Monica McCormick from Envato. Envato a few years ago joined the Cyber Monday sales and was getting things ready for the campaign. For anybody wondering what Cyber Monday is, it's a day created by a US retailing association back in 2005 with the aim to get more people to shop online, usually around the end of November, start of December. In 2019, it'll be on the 2nd of December. It's at the start of a traditionally busy shopping period in the US that happens just after Thanksgiving and before Christmas. But here's Lindsay Andrew, campaign manager who was working on the launch for the first Cyber Monday campaign that Envato participated in. And at the 11th hour, literally everything went wrong. Um, so myself and my peer who is currently living in Vietnam, remote working, were both online until, I don't know, it was maybe about three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning trying to fix things. And um, we had built a project where we were using a freelancer, which is amazing, who had literally been in, I think literally been hit by a bus. There was a lot shuffling and obviously they were still trying to get the landing page live and the email was ready to go sitting there, but we just had to wait until the landing page was confirmed. And so we were having developers in-house kind of scramble to get it all ready. Finally, what's needed to ship the campaign is ready. Australia's in a fortunate time zone for global campaigns. We're awake before most of Europe and America, but the Envato team has been working frantically to get it done by the deadline. And there was a real sense of uh, nervousness, excitement, exhaustion, apologies to be given out for everyone else who'd come in to help us. Actually, my friend who lived in Vietnam had sent donuts, <laughs> had ordered donuts to say thank you for our saviors. Um, and then just kind of waiting to see what happened. And thank God it was successful. And the interesting thing about Envato and Cyber Monday is what Lindsay says next. One of the few events that we run every year that's driven by external timelines. Welcome to Scale Up Season 3, all about Envato. I'm Courtney Carthy and this is the second last episode in this season. Now, Envato is strangely unencumbered by external deadlines, forces, companies, weather, politics, and many other things. In my travels around its Melbourne head office on King Street, there's a peculiar but positive sense of calm that exists as soon as you swipe into the building. It really does feel like a spaceship. I've spent a reasonable amount of time in the offices speaking with staff, and the scenario Lindsay describes feels completely out of place here. This episode, we'll hear about how Envato decides how fast it wants to go anywhere on the globe and explore some of the things that keep it grounded here in Melbourne. Scale Up is thanks to LaunchVic. Check out launchvic.org. LaunchVic is leading the development of a globally connected startup ecosystem by supporting startups and investors here in Victoria. That's launchvic.org. Do check it out while you're listening to this episode and let a friend know about the show and do leave a review.
Later on, when I spoke with Collis Taid, Envato's CEO, I asked him about external deadlines at the company. Uh, we don't have a lot. Like, I think um, we're a business with millions of customers all around the world. So uh, it's not that we have, like, five enterprise customers. If one of them calls, I have to pick up, um, which is good because, like, phones kind of scare me. The, we have, like, millions of people, which, is, like, really disperses um, things and we don't even have a lot of geographical like we, we do a Cyber Monday thing but like there's a whole big swathe of our population like what is Cyber Monday it's just some random day that they do discounts for some reason going back through to the start of the company though things were a little different early on when we were we, we had launched Flash 10 and um, our next uh, plan was to have an audio marketplace and iStock uh, who I'd sort of modelled the company on a little bit early on uh, announced they are going to launch audio and we freaked out, like, oh my goodness, they're going to steal our thunder. We have to move really quickly. And that was one time where we had, I guess, a competitive deadline. Um, and we totally hustled. We sort of split the codebase app and so that it, um, it could handle multiple marketplaces, not just one. And we launched within, I think, like three months. Anyhow, in the end, it took them two years to launch. I, and I was like, it's weird. They, they'd been working on a search project or something for it. And I remember laughing about it. Like, idiots like how could they take so long now that we're big i'm like oh i understand how things can take a super long time one striking thing about envato's marketplace business model is that no matter what the digital product there's always a way to get an insight into the future opportunities and in a way grow into or service those nicholas rasmussen from envato we've heard him in previous episodes he gives an example here when you have the biggest marketplace in the world, when the web becomes capable of building something for the first time, Envato Market will be the first people to monetize it. They will be the first people to really embrace it. So you see a new, industri- a new industry technique or trend appearing on Behance, for instance, the biggest portfolio network in the world. Mm-hmm. It will be popularized on Envato Market in a matter of months. In that way, roadmaps that product managers deal with can in some cases become fluid based on the data that's coming in from many different points. James Giroux has the uncommon title of WordPress evangelist at Envato and is intimately involved with both the authors and the product teams. So I go around to different parts of the business, those that are more customer-facing, those that are more creator-facing, and I ask them, what are you working on? What are, what are you thinking about doing? And from that, I craft, I, I try to craft a roadmap of, you know, features or, or releases that's going to come through in the next uh, six to 12 months that's going to have an impact on authors and what they do. Um, and part of the reason why I have done that, and it's a little different, um, Envato tends to hesitate to share a roadmap uh, and most of the product managers here will be very hesitant to give dates or times or anything is because we really try to work based on the data that we get. And so if we, the data we get back from an experiment that we run, for example, points in a different direction to what we expected, then we adjust course to follow the data um, and to try and make decisions that um, lead to the kind of outcomes that we're after um, rather than assuming a decision is going to be right and just doing that no matter what happens. Call us again. It means that we have the freedom, I think, to like drive a lot of our own deadlines. I naturally create pressure. 
I'm just by self-imposition of like, let's get this done by, you know, we're going to launch in four months. Why? I don't know. <laughs> it just seemed like a good time. And then it's like once you've like started with some sort of plan, you weave pressures in. So you promise this is going to be at that person's door and that person is going to have that thing ready for that time. And next thing you know, you have a pressure environment. That um, reminds me of the theory of constraints, but sort of working a little bit differently, <laughs> sort of back to front of the <laughs> James is really into the theory of constraints. It's a good, it's a, uh, he's constantly trying to tell me that um, we need to focus more. It's been a, it's been a running joke between the two of us that I have um, um, like some major problem with focusing and that it would solve a lot of things. And it probably would. It's just not the way that I, uh, I think I naturally think or do. James that Collis mentions is James Ross, the chief technology officer. And the theory of constraints is another way to fly the Envato spaceship. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of that kind of thinking. Um, and the, my best thing, my, my favorite, the reason I find that appealing is because you don't have to solve every problem immediately. Right? It, it, it tells you to that there are some problems that matter a whole lot more than others. And that's what your primary job as a leader is, is to pick the right problems to solve as opposed to saying everyone do everything better now like it's like it's it's not it's just not necessary so picking the problem to solve is the is the is the appeal of that kind of thinking for me working out what your limits are and that's where if you've got good data you can say this component isn't coping we need to do something about that Here's a great example of that working from Gus Gollings, a senior developer, about uploading video. It shows how one thing flows to the next, then into Agile, which governs the cadence of Invato's work life, and so on. But here's Gus. If it turns out that the upload mechanism, as was the case with video, we couldn't upload stuff, we'll exploit that constraint, make it faster to upload. And then, once you've relieved the constraint of the upload, you'll find that, oh dear, now we've got a, a backlog up with review. We can't review this stuff fast enough. So we exploit the review constraint and, well, now we can't find enough buyers. You know, stuff's just sitting around and going stale. So then you could advertise and exploit that constraint and so on. So there's only ever one constraint and the theory of constraints might say, there's no point anyone in the organization working on anything other than the constraint. This is a radical idea and it trumps agile. So agile might say, you know, you want to work in this agile way where we're giving fast feedback about the products we're developing. But it really doesn't matter if what you're developing isn't the constraint. Yeah. So we, sort of have, we sort of yield to the theory of constraints as a sort of a bigger brother of the agile workflow. Once we've identified the constraint or the business direction, then we'll use agile as a way of having sort of an effective delivery mechanism for those pieces of the puzzle that we're trying to work on. As high or as fast as the spaceship in the analogy goes, when you get into the human experience, everything comes back down to earth quite quickly. Collis breaks down his experience starting the company to where they are today. Like I think ultimately um, when I think about the process of starting something and then uh, growing with it, uh, probably the number one um, thing I think is, oh, that's hard. It's very difficult. I have, uh, Cyan and I often talk about the fact that I will look back at um, times in the past where it's us as a family and I'll, I feel happy. More or less, most of my memories to do with growing the company, I 
I, I like I don't want to think about them too much because I just uh, associate them with lots of periods of deep stress and um, uh, like anxiety and worry and because uh, I think that just the the process of doing uh, constantly doing things that you don't know how to do it's not like um, you know I'd had any experience with what uh, basically with anything to do with growing a company um, not about how to grow it not about how to like um, secure its future not about how to hire not about what culture is not like none of it um, it was uh, it was all new so it was it was like taking on a job where um, every day you're stretched um, and I think I'm generally a fairly capable sort of person I'm quite generalist in my um, skills like I, I have a math degree as you mentioned and uh, but um, so I'm, I'm okay on that side of things and uh, also okay on more creative things and okay on people things um, and I think that to be a successful founder you have to be fairly generalist um, or have a really like awesome co-founding team that picks up I guess uh, the things that you're not good at I felt like I had both um, but even then I just look back and think, wow, that was super tough. Lots of times where at the end of the day, I just like be questioning why I was doing things. Um, where this, like especially where uh, stresses around people, around change, or around. Um, when there was a period of time where we started bringing in lots of lots of new people from outside who were a bit more senior, so we'd sort of grown for a while um, with people who I would class as kind of uh, uh, makers, so people of you know design or development or uh, kind of the kinds of people you'd see in an early stage startup. And then there was a period where we began bringing in people who are um, more uh, like sort of managers of a, of a certain type, I guess. Like so we, you know, that was when we introduced HR and we started building a finance function and analytics and there was all these senior people and they all came in with a lot of like uh, experience. Um, and uh, they all kind of had ideas about how things should be and they'd seen it done elsewhere. That period was super stressful as I first defaulted to, hey, well, you know, what do I know? I'm just some, like, dumbass who started a business. <laughs> you guys have been at these big companies and you clearly know what you're doing. I should just listen to you all. Plus, I was in this weird situation where they were all like, well, you're the leader, so, and like, just little things. Like, I never chaired a meeting with, um, you know, with sort of senior people. I was like, what, like, what's an executive team supposed to do? What are we supposed to talk about? Like, how does that work? And so every interaction would be kind of a bit stressful. And I would often feel like I was torn between, you know, people saying, if you don't fix this, it's going to be really bad. Or I can't believe you're listening to that person when, uh, like, their advice doesn't actually make sense. And... It was just a very tumultuous uh, sort of period. And I just have memories of like, you know, long days working and getting home and just bursting into tears in my room thinking, God, this sucks. It doesn't help also. I also at the same time was having children. So um, that's probably should be mentioned. So, you know, um, I had, uh, and to be fair, the, the bulk of the difficult parts of this were born by Cyan. But, um, you know, we had our eldest, John, in, in uh 2011, uh, which is like right around that same period of time. And so, uh, you know, the process of um, having Cyan going through pregnancy and then afterwards, and then she had uh, postpartum depression, mild, but, you know, depression. Um, plus, we now have a baby and, uh, you know, the whole thing was like a, probably a recipe for, for stress. And then three years later, we had Lewis, um, our second born, 
who then, uh, like following the, it was like a planned C-section as the first one had been an emergency C-section and uh, um, following his birth, uh, Zayn had a blood clot that went into her lung. Um, came out of the, I don't know, something to do with the, the operation. And so it was like, you know, a period of like, is my wife going to die? Only one lung's working. We have a newborn and then work is like uh, tumultuous as well. So those kinds of things turn into a, just a, like a um, pressure cooker sort of uh, environment. The funny thing about starting a business, right, is uh, after it's successful, you can look back and be like, oh, well, it was going to be successful, so I guess it must have been like an exciting time the whole time. But you don't know that at the time. So, you know, there's no like, um, you're, the whole time you're constantly questioning yourself. And so when it'd be bleak during sort of winter months, I'd be like, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the end. Maybe it's all going to go downhill from now. Maybe six months from now, I'll be standing there sacking everybody and saying, go home, that things haven't turned out. And so, and then, yeah, I think the, the bulk of it, it just turns into, not for the faint-hearted is my like often feeling about it. It's like, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily like encourage someone to go through all that. Um, but you know, anything that's difficult in life has also uh, corresponding um, rewards. And I think that uh, if you look back at any time of growth in your personal growth or professional growth, it's always associated with difficulty. Like you never grow when things are easy. And I think um, the flip side of how difficult I, I contemplate, uh, you know, this whole process of starting is that I contemplate, wow, how far I've come as a person in different ways, capacity to cope with things. Um, you know, the fulfillment of uh, being able to run a company that has lots of people who feel happy about coming to work. Like, those things are rewarding. Just, you know, it gets a bit hard getting here. <laughs> <laughs>
thank goodness for all these fabulous founders who build these great companies. It's a, it's a really, it's a great place to live. What's the fastest you saw the company grow and why? Um, it's right now. This is Matthew Cox, who works on Tuts Plus. I've been here for like five years-ish. Um, and I think, you know, when I first came, it was, I think we had 300 people. I want to say it was 300 people. Um, and then, you know, now we're sort of 700, 800, um, you know, including the folks over in, in, uh, in Guadalajara. Uh, so, like, the company's grown a lot and I think it's growing most now. Um, and it's, it's always, it's kind of crazy because you go from knowing absolutely everyone in the business on a first name basis, you know, who they are, you know, what they do, you know, where they eat lunch, you know, you see them around, you have a conversation. And it's very strange, I think, going from that to, uh, you know, if you miss an all hands because you're sick or you're away on a holiday or something like that, then, and you see a person walk around the business, like, I've never seen this person before <laughs> because they, it's only at all hands and in Nashville where they actually get introduced. So it's sort of that's that's the that's kind of the, the the place where you'll see them for the first time, and they'll be like, oh yeah, that that person definitely works here. But the other times, you know, it's like you might see a person. Um, I remember there was one instance where someone came into the office and just wandered around for a while, like because you know you've seen the, you've seen the you've seen the doors, like you know someone would have just stood waiting outside the office, and you know someone might have let them in because they thought they were, a, you know, a new candidate or, you know, or someone who just started or someone applying for a job. Um, and I remember the story, I can't remember how long ago this was. It might've been like 18 months ago, but I remember they, it was, the story was that this person just wandered around, you know, they were looking at things, perfectly harmless, like, you know, just normally dressed, look for all intents and purposes, just like a normal guy, um, wandering around, you know, helped themselves to a can of Coke, had some cereal. <laughs> and then, you know, at one point this guy's looking, you know, in the, like looking over someone's computer and be like, oh, what are you working on? And then someone turned around and be like, you are? <laughs> and like, are you, do you work here? No, but this is a beautiful office, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you, you might want to leave. You know, <laughs> like, this, is, this is not, you can't just walk in off the street. And uh, the, the, uh, Matthew Phipps, who was a guy we had on reception at the time, was uh, basically just came and tapped this guy on the shoulder. Was like, "Yeah, you probably want to get out of here now. Like, this is not this is an office building. It's a private space. We're working here." Thanks for listening, Matthew Cox. Ending this episode of Scale Up, where Invato actually a spaceship. There's little chance they'd be getting random people wandering in like that. In just a moment. A little bit of what's up next episode, the final episode. Please do tell a friend about the show. And Scale Up is brought to you by LaunchVic, Victoria's startup ecosystem development agency. Find more information about what's going on in Victoria's tech startup scene by going to launchvic.org. Launchvic.org. And if you're enjoying the season, you might like either of the two previous seasons on Culture Amp and Redbubble. So, next episode. I think the hardest thing on the day was finding the right GIF to post on Slack um, to say that it had launched. I can't remember what it went with in the end. Might have been a dancing cat or something. That's all in the final episode of Scale Up Season 3. Between now and then, why not check out Season 2, all about Redbubble. If you haven't heard it, here's the trailer right now. And we listed the business in May of 2016. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Max Cunningham. I'm the uh, General Manager of Listings and uh, Issuer Services, and it's my uh, great pleasure to uh, welcome you all here today uh, for the listing ceremony for Redbubble. Redbubble is a fast-growing online marketplace 
with a global community of artists, designers and customers. You've demonstrated such a business is very attractive to investors and it's particularly exciting for the ASX. This was um, the MD report from December 2008. Redbubble continues to experience scaling challenges in accounting, customer service, community management, hosting and fraud control. These scaling challenges have significantly curtailed our ability to invest in marketing or sales related activities. It's a logistical nightmare. I, for a period of time, was the mail distribution for Europe. You know, I thought, oh my God, what's going to happen if I can retrieve all this information? Is that it? Is that Redbubble? It's like, yep, one rack. <laughs> That's the entire world that I've sort of been living in. You know, the moment you told them you're doing some work for Redbubble, the, 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 the phone would get slammed in your face. So you don't have ready access as you might have in some other industries where you can ring competitors and talk to them. The first Christmas is everybody did customer service, including Martin. And then they'd frame it and put it up on the wall. I'm an artist. They wouldn't actually even cash the things. So we had all this, these uncashed checks. Scale Up Season 2 from Launch Vic is almost here. And it's all about Redbubble. ASX-listed, on-demand products, three-sided, global marketplace, founded and headquartered right here in Melbourne. If you haven't heard the first series on Culture Amp, check it out now while we finesse the coming season. Redbubble is a huge story and we're jamming in as much as we can over the eight episodes, but there might be a bonus one or two with all the interviews we've done. Martin drew this um, diagram where he drew a little white circle in the middle and he said that's the art and then a big pale blue circle on the outside which was massive and he said that's the community and I didn't quite get it at the start but he was right. The art builds the community and then all of a sudden it became a massive community of artists. Most recently I was like oh so what's what's changed what's the difference he's like nothing's changed they just get it now. I noticed that you have updated your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> yes I have. What does it say? <laughs> it says CEO designate. If you're a startup founder or thinking about a startup in Victoria maybe investing in a Victorian startup Find great information about the landscape from launchvic.org. There are links in the show notes too, so check those out. Subscribe to Scale Up on your favorite podcast app and expect episode one of season two about Redbubble very soon. Now, Redbubble has the capabilities to do an enormous number of things, but our choice about what we do is not defined by what we can do, but by what we should do.